0: I've got so much I want to share, but, but I want to focus on something the Lord's been dealing with me. I went to Mean Mug today. What a terrible name for a coffee shop, <laughs> like three coffees and you're screaming at everybody. You're, you're driving behind people, cussing them out because they're cutting you off, you know. Anyway, I went to Mean Mug and it was so funny because there was nobody in the, in the coffee shop. One guy sitting way at the end and I said, oh, good, I'm going to some, spend some time with the Lord on my computer and what I want to talk about this morning. And I sit down, within a half hour, there must have been 15 people in an empty restaurant that had to sit around me. (laughs) And so, uh, and then the Lord began to speak, and I began to feel something, and the Lord began to unpack a little bit of a truth to me, and and really, really what I want to talk to you tonight about is keep, the keeping of the Lord and the delight of the Lord, but I want to spend a few minutes on this because I think it's powerful. I've never heard it before um, from anybody it was just something that, um, that God began to speak to me about. And I believe the word for the church uh, in this coming year is going to be a, a one of transformation and adjustment. I really believe that. I believe the church is going to come into another cycle of transformation where, where he's going to begin to unfold revelation and truth that we've not heard yet. And, and we know of it, we've read it, but we've not really caught the fullness of what it means for us and it's going to lead us into a transition of making adjustments in our walk, and our focus, in our lens, how we hear, how we listen, and how we see. But let me tell you that the worst thing about uh, when you develop a spirit that's religious. Because I say this all the time. The worst thing about the, the, the spirit of religion is it adapts. You think you get to a place where you're super spiritual and you've got everything. And then all of a sudden, you start looking at other people saying, well, if they don't do and have what I have, well, they may not be as spiritual as me. You begin to judge, you begin to condemn, and you become religious. And what that does, is it, it hinders your growth experience. Religion is the number one enemy to supernatural growth because somehow you convince yourself that everything you have is all that you need. To some degree, that's true when it comes to being sons and daughters of God. But we are always growing into a manifestation of who we're called to be, and that comes from our willingness to yield to the presence and the spirit of God and what He does in and through us. And sometimes that's hard for us. So we're and, and I'm already feeling it, and I know Noah's been feeling it, and other of our staff people have been feeling it. We're we're coming into this season of of seeing things differently and experiencing things differently. And and I want to start with this scripture, and this is not going to be on the screen, by the way, but. This is a verse that hit me this morning. It's Ephesians 3 and 20, and this is the Passion Translation. It says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. What a verse. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Constantly energizes you. And so I was, I was thinking today about some of the things that the way sometimes I do Christian, my Christian walk or my Christian life is, it's kind of slow, it's kind of like gradually I, I have to process scripture when somebody gives me something new Uh, That I haven't heard or I hear something new. It's like the long kind of a drawn out process for me to get on board. But what I feel like in the last couple of months, it's almost like God says, this is how this this is, and this is the way it is. And he's not saying this is the final truth about this. He's saying, I'm I'm adjusting your lens, and this is how this looks, and this is what it is. Now, I want to read the scripture, okay? This is Galatians 3 and 26. That should be up there. It says, you all have become true children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The original translation says, you are all the true children of God. Second Peter, listen to this. 2 Peter 1 and 3, and this is what it says. This is the Passion Translation. It says everything. Somebody say everything. Let me just stop before we get into Scripture. What do you ask God for when you already have everything? It's a great question, isn't it? Right? Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all that was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us, by name. It's personal, folks. And invited us to come to him through a glorious, the glorious manifestation of his goodness. Here's what I believe. I believe sometimes the distortion, and I talk a little bit about that. I, I do believe you can seek. I do believe that, right? But I think sometimes our brain shifts so that we. We continually seek stuff that we have to the point where it disables us from actually stepping into who we are because we forget that everything that we already need to do life, we have. And I believe that maybe there's a discovery of that for us. I believe that we're in this journey and that we're growing and that God is doing things. And I, I... I, I, when I think about where I'm at, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 46. So when I think about where I'm at right now, I'm not really. I know you, some of you are saying, he's old for 46, I'm not really. But anyway, when I think about where I'm at, the only, one of the most thankful things I thank the Lord for every morning, I said, Father, thank you for allowing me to keep a teachable spirit. Because I would not want to be the person I was five years, three years, six years, 10 years ago. And so sometimes when we listen to the voice of the enemy who says, You don't have this, you don't have that, you don't have this, you don't have that, the only thing that that proves for your life is that you hear the devil really well. That you're not hearing the voice of God. And we're always listening to a voice. Your life is consumed with hearing a voice. And so we are always listening to this voice. And so there is this, once again, there's this transformation that's coming to the church. And, and, and I believe there's a discovery of everything that God's calling us into. So I started asking when this verse, I said, so Lord, what does everything look like for me? Because it's, it's a personal verse. What's the everything that I need right now in my life to cause me to step into a different place of identity than I've, I've been in in the last six months, three months, two months, one month ago? What does that look like for me? How do I process that? How do, how do I walk through that? Because this is, my, this is just my take. Listen, if Jesus said that the New Testament church, greater things than these shall ye do, And the Bible says Jesus did so many miracles, there wouldn't be enough paper in the world to record them. That's a pretty big call out on us, right? So why is that not happening? The only thing I can think of is there are some key truths maybe that we're missing. And maybe those key truths are just us getting to the place where we begin to say, Lord, so what does the everything look like that I have? And I want you to see that the last part of that verse actually focuses on the intimate connection that we have with the Father. He says, we could ever need for life in God has already been deposited in us by his divine power for all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of what? Knowing him. Me and my wife have been talking about for months. She started talking about it first and then we've all engaged in talking it we felt like the Lord was challenging us as leaders and who we are as people and who we are as men and women and who we are as husband and wife that we were being challenged to restructure our value system because every one of us right now are living in a value system. You have certain things that are important to you that are, are up here. Then you have the next thing that's here. Then you have the next thing that's here. Then you have the next thing that's here. And the thing—the thing about worship is, worship is really not self-focused. Worship, worship is—is is, when I come into worship, it's really not about me. When I would teach uh, praise and worship leaders to lead worship, we are at Covenant. I would at Calhoun. I would always say, "Hey, it's not about you. It's, it's not a show." Worship and then let people join in what you're doing. They'll get it. When worship becomes personal, it becomes focused on him, what happens is we actually begin to step into this, this aspect of knowing him. And and so when I grew up, there's a lot about my generation. I grew up in a very uh, somewhat legalistic, uh, you know, religious format. Um, fourth generation Pentecostal um, I had a, fa- a grandfather that was uh, part of the great supernatural revivals all, all through uh, Canada, through the Maritimes and other places. And so I have that, and, and I'm thankful for a lot of it. One of the things I'm thankful is that when, when I got saved, my culture that I was in had a high demand and value for intimate pursuit with God, intimate time in the Word, intimate time in seeking Him, in, in, in prayer and, and fasting. It was a very common thing. Like when I got saved, the first thing uh, my dad said, well, you just need to go after God. And how am I going to do it? Well, you need to go on a fast. So I went on probably a two-year fast. I was doing two to three days every week. I had, I designated to go in fast. And it wasn't because I, I, I want ministry or I want to be anything. It was, I just had this in, incredible desire to get to know the God that I had never known, even though I grew up my entire life in church. That's sad, but exciting at the same time. And I tell I tell people this all the time. I grew up hating church. Rachel, I was sixteen. I grew up two things I hated the most: church and school. And both them equally. And and a friend of mine said, "We well, he said hell because I used to think, you know Christian friends would see me go to the altar every Sunday. I got saved every Sunday, stoned every Monday." The way it was. And one guy said to me, so How do you know you're saved? I said, All of a sudden, I love church. All of a sudden, I love presence. All of a sudden, I, I love this engagement that I'm being pulled into the place of knowing Him. And so, I, I think with where we're going, there is going to be a challenge of a value shift. Because the world is great at consuming us. And I know we got to do the things we do. We have to work. We have to make a living. But here's what Jesus said. Be in the world and not of it. Well, you're of it. Obviously, you're in it. So what was he saying? Be in the world, but don't let the world be your key focus. There has to be this transitional shift where we start to walk in something that we've never known before. And I think the reason that sometimes, there's two things that happen. We either become comfortable, and uh, I, think, I think one of the greatest hindrances to the church today is familiarity. I think it, I think it plagues us, and we don't even realize it. And, and I was sharing, I shared with Brian, and I was sharing with, with somebody else I was talking to, I, I can't remember, um, it was Braden. Before I came in, we were just talking about things and I said, it's funny how you can bring a speaker in, a special speaker, say, and I'll give an example, which I will bring and I love him. Like bring David Wagner in and David Wagner comes in and he comes into the room and then just prophecy just flows and everybody's getting words and power of God showing up and people's getting healed. and, And then he leaves and then we get back to our regular service and we have a service and none of that happens. You know why? Familiarity. You you give the new guy coming in this level of honor that unleashes his gifts. But what you're familiar with, sometimes you you forget to honor. And I'm not I'm not after honor. I don't want you to stand up when I walk in the room. I don't. I'm not, I'm not into any of that. But what I'm saying is, what you honor, you get to have. What you don't honor, you won't experience. So we constantly live on this cycle of looking for something from somebody else when God says you already have everything you need. So I'm saying this has become my slogan for my own life. I am not seeking anything right now. I am engaging in who I am. We can get this distorted revelation of what seek means. Most of the verses in the Bible have to do with people seeking, if my people who are called by my name, and we use that for us, it wasn't written for us, it was written for backslidden Israel, a people that had wandered away from God. Are you following me? We know his name. I already know he's here, I don't have to seek him, he's not hiding. You know, you know what I mean? And if he is, he's like a kid, you know, ready to jump out and say, you found me. It's not, there's no intense looking. And so what I feel like is when we start to learn to engage, if we just ask, Father, what am I missing that I already have, but I'm just not seeing it? How many of you know, no, 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 God heals? Let me see your hand. Oh, you're going to love this next question then. How many sick people did you pray for this week? How many of you really feel God saves people? How many people did you witness to this week? Did you really know it? I'm not, I'm not, it has nothing to do with works. I don't have to work to love my children or my wife. It's automatic response. I do things, my love causes me to do things automatically. Knowing him causes us to do things automatically. I know how to hunt. I've shot five deer in two weeks. And I've got friends that have been hunting since the season began and only have killed one. I'm just good at it. I kill things good. (laughs) All with a bow. I know, so listen, so every day when I'm driving, do you know that hunting's always on my mind? The Lord could be speaking to me and I'm driving through the park. It's like, what buck? I gotta take that brief moment, break away from the conversation. Why? Because it is so a part of who I am. For some of you, it's, it's you, you're a contractor. You walk into a house and you go, that needs to be fixed, that needs to be fixed, and that needs to be fixed. It's just who you are. So to really know him, we, we have all this stuff we say we know. How much truth do we have right now that we're absolutely doing nothing with, but yet we have a demand for more truth? More revelation, but really without knowing. Knowing is a big thing. Spirit said this, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who are you? The seven sons of Sceva. So I believe that God's gonna begin to tap. He's gonna begin to... As we come together corporately, there's gonna be this this Holy Spirit's gonna begin to tap into our lives. And we're gonna begin to discover things about ourselves that we didn't know. So, a couple weeks ago, I started with the concept of we're living from the outside in, not the inside out. So, here's what we're doing we're living from fruit, but not the vine. We're living by something we were given back here, a gift, a talent, ability, a position, uh, something great. And it doesn't even mean it's spiritual. It could be something physical. It could be something you know, that, that's consumed your identity, something that's consumed your consciousness, something that's, that's consumed the very inside of your heart, that really he no longer is the focal point of your life. And so God is calling us back into this place. He's, he's, and this is what I've heard, and I'm just giving you what I heard all day. And at the coffee shop. So I'm having a moment. A lot of people are around me. And it's like, okay, just pay no attention to me. I'm having a moment. I don't even know what that moment looked like, but it was a moment. And this is what the Lord said. I am so tired of visitation. I have preached on this for years during revival. I am so tired of visitation. It's important my people get back to habitation. Listen. Visitations bring visits of his presence. Habitation brings a constant manifestation of his presence. That's how it works. The more time I spend with Jesus, the more like him I become. And let me tell you something about Jesus the very nature of who he is, the very nature of God, the very nature of the Holy Spirit is even since Genesis chapter 1, it's creative. You cannot tap into the presence of God. You cannot spend 10 minutes with God and something creative happen within you. He doesn't even have to say something. Just his presence showing up in the car and you having to pull over, he's doing, he does something creative within you. And you feel it. You, don't, you may not recognize it. You may not understand it. That's when you have to sit back. Okay, I'm having this experience right now, Father, what is the everything that I'm, what, what part of the everything right now am I experiencing in this moment? What does that mean for me? Years ago, um, when I first got in ministry, I preached to preach and taught to taught, taught to teach, that's better, taught to teach. Now I'm at a place in my life when God gives me a word, it first goes like this, okay, what does that mean for me? Before, because I was a preacher, it was what it meant for everybody in here. But there's something happens when you you step into saying, okay, what do you want me to know for me? I'm I'm going through this this recycle of being challenged. You know, when you start crying out for the more of the Lord, he always challenges you in the craziest places. And I've realized in my own life um, how disobedient I can be. Because here's, here's how we do this. Well, you're the pastor, you're supposed to pray for everybody and anybody who God tells you because you're supposed to lead us. Boy, I wish I could say I do that. There's times I get so uncomfortable, I can be on my way in Wally World to pray for somebody and I will instantly talk myself out of it. Why? Because there's a greater voice that I'm listening to. I'm choosing. And, and I, I love prophecy. I love the prophetic. But I really think it gets back to us being to a place where we're really not so much, you know. And, and I'm not, I'm not be, I'm trying to exhort you. I said this a couple of Sundays ago. When we live for and from the desire for others' encounters, giftings, walks, spiritual life, wealth, position, revelation what happens is we miss our own identity and purpose. Every young preacher I know looks at a, a major preacher, and goes, I wish I could preach like that. Boy, I wish I had that anointing. Boy, I wish I had. Every doctor goes, boy, I wish I had that guy's, that guy's job. Boy, I wish, I wish I had that guy's paycheck. Boy, I wish I had that guy's house. Wish I had that guy's boat. Wish I had that guy's car. And when we live from this place, what happens is we we no longer are pursuing who God's called us to be. We're pursuing who everybody else is and we totally miss our own identity. Here's here's the truth, listen. When we really begin to discover who we truly are in God, we won't like to be like anybody else. We won't wanna be like anybody else. That's the beauty of this thing. And that's the beauty, so... Um growing up, you know, you've heard of the great pray and hide, Smith Wigglesworth, Catherine Kuhlman. Uh, I was telling, I was telling like, the kids that some people the other day, staff probably. My mom, my mother remembers in Toronto when she went to hear a conference. I don't know if it was J. A. Allen or who it was, it was a real well-known speaker, familiar guy. Um, it was it, she said it was this massive, real, real religious-looking church, sat thousands. And she said um, the speaker walked up to the stage. Uh, the the musicians, it was a a big orchestra. It was one back in the day. It wasn't like the worship we had today. It was a a big orchestra with a big choir, and everybody was dismissed from from the stage. And the speaker just walked up on stage. I I wish I could remember. I think it was J.A. Allen. Anyway, he just walked up on the stage, and he said, just lift your hands. Uh, We're going to join angels in a moment and worship. And she said, when everybody stood up, the instruments began to play by themselves. And my mother said, I was 14. You could see the host of angels in the house. And the worship was so intense that thousands of people literally fell on their faces. And yet, I I think sometime we think to some level that we're arriving, but I'm not sure that we are. I think we've lost the simplicity to just put value where it needs to be and what what it's meant to look like. So I talked about David, the heart of David. Listen to this verse. This is Philippians 2 and 5. This is the Passion Translation before I talk about David. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Let his mindset. New King James reads this. This is how we know most of us have read it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in? You know what this verse is? This is a renewal of the mind verse. I, I preach on Romans 12 all the time, talking about the transformation of the mind. Then we go and we read about David in Acts 13, 22. It says, I searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart, cardia, thoughts, feelings, and mind beat to mine. The word heart there is cardia, in the Greek or the Aramaic. He's saying, David thinks like I think. His heart is connected to my heart. And because of those positions, everywhere he goes, his hunger is to fulfill my will. Now, I said this before. David wasn't even born again. David lived in a visitation culture. We live in a habitation culture. And he's given us this description. The writer, you know, uh, Paul's given us description of David. And I believe this here is an example of of what God is after. It's it's this habitation of our hearts where our heartbeat beats to his heartbeat, where our, our thought process, you know, thinks the way he thinks first. Right, because we are living from a value system, whether we like it or not. The problem with us, I think, myself included, is we compartmentalize God. I, I think the church has been compartmentalizing God. That that we we've come to this place where you know we we live for occurrences, or we live for a periodic touch. Actually, we be it, it's an it's irregular relationship with God. Now, just think about this for, from our own perspective. How many of you pray when you really got a need? Oh, nobody's left their hands now. I got everybody terrified. Don't lift your hand. I mean, we really got a need. We really got some junk going on in our life. Man, we went to prayer. What does prayer life look like before that? That's called, you know, Compartmentalizing God—it's—it's—it's it's, it's saying, "Yeah, I have—I have I have, a, I have a place for you in my life, but it's not fully for you in my life." You go home every every day, Ryan, to your wife. Yeah. You know what that's called? That's called regular covenant. Consistent covenant. How many of you are married? You think about your wife through the day, or do you just think about her when you see her? You go, hey, how are you? Haven't seen you for a while. Where you been? (laughs) Do you show up just on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and say, I got a little apartment I bought for Friday and Saturday and Sunday, so you'll see me the first of the week, but the rest of the week, I'm doing my own thing. Compartmentalizing your life, and we do it spiritually. It means to separate and isolate something. And, and this is not really a hard word. This is actually an invitation word. That God's reaching out to us and he's saying, hey, I, I've called you for such a time as this. It's important that you engage. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even judging you. I think you all love Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus. But I realize in my relationship with Jesus, I still have some messed up areas. And even, no, I'm not even going to ask you to put your hand up. And so God's confronting us right now. Listen to what Solomon, the wisest man in the world said in Proverbs 3 and 6. In everything you do, put God first. This is a living Bible. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Let me say it again, because you need to hear it. In some of the things you do, in everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. So I told you how my brain works. So my brain works if I see a commercial and somebody's breaking down on, on the road, and the next part of the commercial, they're at the auto zone getting the new battery. My first thought is, how did they get to AutoZone? <laughs> right? I know the commercial, but that's where my mind goes, right? So here's how I break this verse down. In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. If you're not having success, if you're not having success, What's happening? Go, that's it. You're not putting God first. Can you actually know him in any of your area of your life and not have success? The only time it shifts is when somehow we start putting something in the place that God says, I have to have. The only time we have less than who he is is when we start compartmentalizing who he is. Well, you know, because when, when I say compartmentalizing, isn't it funny that we see one day a week a time of spiritual engagement? That's compartmentalizing. I don't worship all week, but when I come to church, I worship. I don't read because I got somebody who teaches me every week. I don't have time for the Bible. I'm a busy man. I'm just going to buy me some sermon books and read from them. And the worst thing you could ever say to anybody in ministry is, well, you don't really have a job. Right? I give you about two months counseling and you'll go work at Walmart. especially when people don't listen. So we, 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 this is the thing that we have to deal with. Now, let me give you this, this here truth. I, I, I love, there's a couple things here the Lord really spoke to me. Um, the first thing is righteousness and, sons, and sonship produce a result that manifests itself. Let me say it again. My, let me give me some gas to my mouth. Righteousness and sonship produce a result that manifests itself in Christ-likeness, period. When you understand your righteousness and you understand you're a son, all of a sudden we begin to, to give things out that begin to manifest themselves in such a way, in such a way that's just like that woman that we catered. So I came into your church and I seen a bunch of people who look just like Jesus. The greatest compliment ever. The greatest compliment I ever was given was from a a, a six-year-old on the front row of the church after a 40-day fast. I walked in in Sunday morning. I walked in and took my seat, and I was walking across the room, and and I won't say who, I was walking across the room, and the six-year-old kid leaned over to his mother and said, look, Mom, Jesus. I mean, what greater compliment than that? Look, she's a sexy-looking guy beautiful hair. I didn't even have hair then either. So, And I think sometimes that when we realize the power, we weigh weigh the value of, of giving my time to this versus giving my time to that. What's more important? I'm not telling you to pray every day, all the time. Really? Am I not? David said this, his praise will continually be and who was David? A man after God's own heart. And whose tabernacle is going to be reestablished? Paul said in Acts, it's the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is you and me. We are the tabernacle. And the tabernacle that God's coming after is one that's focused on worship, praise, gratitude, and intimacy. It's habitation. Hmm. So I had this little talk with Jesus today. John talks about, I, I love this scripture. Let's see if I can find it. I got it in here somewhere. John, I think, I think it's John 1, talks about he is the vine and, and we are the branches. So it really hit me. It really hit me, okay? So you know me, I got, I, I got to look up stuff, so I'm looking up. So what's the difference in a vine and a branch? want to know? Absolutely nothing. They're defined as having the same essence, the same support system, the same purpose. Have you ever planted a vine in your yard and got stuck with just one vine? What happens when you plant a vine? I'm sitting having coffee And the Lord said, You think you're fruit, but you're actually a vine too. That's right. We're vines. Why? Jesus reproduces himself. Jesus was a man sent to be a vine. He said, I'm the vine, you the branches, sent to be a vine to carry deity to walk out with the heart, the passion, and the desire that God the Father had for us. I, I, I got so busy seeing myself as fruit. The Lord said, stop seeing yourself as fruit because if you focus on the fruit, you'll miss the power of being connected to the vine. I'm just another vine. When we're fruit-focused we miss the value of our connection to the vine. Psalmist said it like this, we are trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Now well, think about this. When Jesus would go into the temple in the Old Testament, when the, when the rabbi would get up and read from the, the Holy Scrolls, the thing it was rolled up on was called the branch. The paper it was read on was called The leaf. In Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, when they would taste up the fruit of the tree of life, I personally believe the fruit of the tree of life represents Jesus. Yes. And so the thing about habitation is simply abiding. And Jesus said this, if you abide in the vine, you will do what I say, and the Father will honor you. Here's what Jesus said: Because I'm a vine, and I do what the Father says as a son of God, He honors me. If you become the vine and you begin to establish obedience to who you are and who I am, you actually get the exact same honor. Man, I struggle with this so much. I don't know why I struggled for it. Let's just say about well, it. This is John 12, 24, 26. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just one grain. It never becomes more but lives by itself alone. But if it dies, have you died yet? What about spiritually? Have you died yet? Galatians 2 and 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 talks about us dying when we got saved, our new birth, we died, old things passed away, old things become new. He says this, but if it dies, it produces many others. Let me say it. it, when Jesus died, what happened? He came as a vine, he produced all of these vines. Joe, when you grow corn, do you eat the stock? Eat the corn. Right, you don't. You don't even think about the stock. I, I, I have a firm down in in, in uh, Lafayette. We hunt, dropped offridge. We went down for a dove hunt. Have you ever seen the stability of cord stock, uh, corn stock? A corn you cannot get it out of the ground. It's inner. It goes down, and it's got all these twists and cranks, and you're trying to kick it out of the ground to get your seat in a place where you're comfortable, and you just can't get it out of the ground especially this new corn stuff, Uh, the seed they're growing, it's full of pesticides, it's full of everything. It, it, It can even, Josh told me, it can even grow in drought. There's nothing like corn stock. It is so strong. And here's Jesus, he's saying to us, listen, if you really wanna be the vine, if you really wanna be that thing that produces fruit, stay connected, learn the principle of abiding, learn the principle of habitation, Learn the principle of intimacy. Learn the principle of love. And your fruit will constantly be empowered. You'll be constantly producing fruit. It breaks my heart when I hear somebody say, yeah, I I prophesied over a person once and then it never happened again. Really? That's like saying I prayed for somebody once and I never did it again. I witnessed to somebody once, but I just never did it again. It's because we... We've been taught somehow that we have to have that that thing happen over and over and over and over again, but it doesn't. The only thing I have to do is abide, be an extension. So, as much as Jesus was a vine, how much are we vines? I've always read that. Let me tell you, I've always read that scripture. When I read it, here's how I read it. Jesus is the vine and I'm the fruit. What if Jesus is divine, and we're more vines and because we're not embracing the concept of us being, listen, Jesus was the son of God on earth. Who are we? Are we not sons and daughters of God? No, we're not little gods. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that we have this preconceived idea about our identity that's been robbing us because we always live. We, we, we categorize. We, we, we make things irregular. So this happened to me in church, but it could never happen to me while I'm getting my groceries. Couldn't have, I could never prophesy to people at work because that's not church. We hear this all the time. We talk about it all the time. People say, yeah, you know what we need to do? We need to have a revival so we can bring people to church and get them saved. That is the most religious concept I've ever heard. We should be witnessing to people every day, looking for an opportunity to lead people to Jesus, and then you bring them to church to equip them. Well, there's something wrong with leadership because people are not coming to church and getting saved. How many did you invite last week? How many did you witness to last week? Listen, I'm so, I feel sorry for you if you think you're going to call me to pray for you to be sick because sometimes you won't be able to reach me. Anyone who loves his life loses it, but anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Whoever has no love for, no concern for, no regard for his life on earth. Now listen, let me just say this. Jesus is not telling you not to do life. He's talking to you about the priority of your focus. That's why I use this term love. You love this more than me. You love this more than me. It says, whoever has no love for, no concern, for no regard for his life here on earth, but despises it, preserves his life forever and ever. If anyone serves me, he must continue to follow me, to cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living, and if need, be dying. Revelations 12 and 20 tells us that disciples got to a place where they loved not their lives to death. And I, I, I think it's both physical and spiritual. I think Scripture is physical and spiritual. And then he says, wherever I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. This is what he said. This is, this is You know what this is about, right? It's about oneness. It's about a fresh connection to oneness. John, I love John because John is the love book it's the intimate book of relationships with god john said this in john 17:11 and now somebody say now here's what jesus is saying from this moment there's been a shift now means it didn't happen before but it's now happening and now i am no more in the world but these are still in the world and i am coming to you holy father Keep in your name, in the knowledge of yourself, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as what? We get offended. We can't be divine. Well, Jesus was divine connected to God. And here he's saying, I want my sons and daughters to have that same oneness, that same connection. I want them to get this same revelation. That's what I want them to, to discover. And so God's after this connection. He's looking for connection. He's looking for us to come into agreement. He's looking for us to engage. And, and I wanna encourage you over the next several weeks, every Bible verse you get that points you to connection and your identity, put it in your phone journal, write it on a, on a piece of paper, stick it on your mirror, start quoting it over your life, start saying it over your life. This is the thing I love about God. Stay with me a couple more minutes, we're gonna close. There are truths that are vital to who you are that you have to have. I can't give them to you. They only come with your own personal engagement with God. Here's the good thing about God. God always loves us into becoming who we're supposed to be. Let me say it again. God always loves us into becoming who we're supposed to be. Let me tell you this. The reason he does that is because it's important for identification to be built on the foundation of love. That's it. Listen, there's something that happens to a person when they know they're loved. Have you ever felt unloved? parents friends buddies people that you thought should love you but didn't love you people that disappointed you 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 just somehow you lost love you didn't feel love i hear all the time story you know i went through all these struggles because i just didn't feel love my mother didn't love me my father didn't love me my husband didn't love me my wife didn't love me my friends didn't love me i hear all these all these stories as a pastor from people about this lack of love i, I knew they liked me and i knew they cared about me but they really didn't show love to me would you take a person that knows they're loved They have a totally different perspective. Love motivates us to go through things differently. It's not what you go through, it's how you go through. So love does something to your mind. When you get a person that knows their love, that God loves them, that God's for them, that God keeps them, that God delights in them, their perspective of a situation is totally different than the person over here who's really not sure if they're loved. Because let's be honest, when we go through crap, I'm not Church of God, so I can say crap now. When we go through crap, how many of you have you dissected that and felt like, I don't know what God's doing, what the heck's going on, what's God, you know, I, I'm not feeling really connected right now. Like, and here's what we do, what have I done, God? God says, oh, you think I've stopped? I've never stopped loving you. So what he does is he challenges us in our love relationship to take us deeper. I I think if church is boring, you're doing it wrong. I use the word church. I think if worship's boring, you're doing it wrong. I think if your hunger for the word is boring, you're doing it wrong. I don't believe it's God. I don't believe it's life. I don't believe it's because you're super busy and you got a career and you're this or that. I believe it's just not become the most valuable thing in your life and other things have taken that place. And I'm gonna ask a question. I want you to process it within your own mind. Your own mind. What would happen in America right now if us, the church, went through the persecution? That Christians go through in Iran? Would we gather? Would we be too scared to gather? Would we share Jesus? Would we be too scared to share Jesus? Would the cost be too great? I, I ask myself that question. You know that's a love issue, right? Right? Would you die to protect your wife? Would you die to protect your children? Would you die for Jesus? Think about that for a moment. We want God to show up. And God says, I've been showing up. We want more truth. I give you all kinds. You're not doing anything with it. We're so busy trying to assess and process things that are comfortable for us. And, I, and I'm, I'm talking about, when I say us, I mean me. I'm not up here saying, you guys are doing this. No, I'm, I'm talking about us. I don't think I've ever processed relationship with God in the kingdom like I've had since 2019. When you're watching people around you die with a disease, that's basically man-made. When you, when you don't know who to believe, what to believe, where to believe, and, and who to vote for because you don't really have a lot of choices. You don't know what's what's secure, what's not secure, what's, what's population control. I mean, we have all these thoughts being pounded on us, right? Do I get the shot? Do I not get the shot? If I get the shot, I got... Friends are going to be bad at me. If I don't get the shot, my family's going to hate me. There's going to be this big consequence of every decision. We are being called into such a strange place of decision and value. You know what it's like? I'll tell you what it is. It's a distraction. It's look over here and listen over here. Don't you hear? So you don't see what God's doing and wants you to hear over here. God's after habitation. I want you to stand. Go ahead and stand. I got so much here I'm not going to give you it all. <clears throat> now, the vine parable's interesting. Because I always hear people say So that story about the vine is cut off, thrown into the fire is that Christians who I, I I'll preach that another day. But I'll tell you this, it's not about that at all. It's not what you think it is. Let me tell you something. Fear motivation for intimacy never works. So there's no fear in this message. Not like if you don't do this, this is gonna none of that. But I will tell you this. As a believer, our lives are lived in response or non-response. What do you mean, Pastor? We are always becoming something. Always. I'm always becoming this or I'm always becoming that. And it's because of my response or my non-response. If I have no response, I'm still becoming something. We're always growing. We're always changing. I, 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 I could eat certain foods seven years ago. I can't even put my mouth now. I don't know why. Because our, our our allergies, they say, our taste buds change every seven years. I don't know how true that is. I never had an allergy till I moved to the South. I, I don't get it. Like, I ate bread my whole life. Now bread messes me up. And I love bread. I eat it anyway because I like being messed up, I guess. But right now, we're living in a season of response or non response. And here's the thing you've got to know about both. Doesn't matter if you are, if you ain't, you're still becoming something in that moment. You, guess, you just get to choose what that looks like for you. I was a coke addict. When I was 23 years old. I got radically saved. Been in church all my life, ran from God. Believed I was just in another religion, like Mormons or whatever. And I got saved. And my dad um, was such a kind man. He's a real short man, just blue eyed, black hair, didn't look anything like me. But he's just just the, the greatest Christian man on the planet. Best example. Yeah. He just loved us so well. My dad, on his weekends, would go to the local hospital and and visit every floor and pray for every sick person. Had no ministry. Nobody knew who he was. But at his funeral, hundreds of people came out and stood and testified. He was such an empowerment to my life. And this is what he told me when I got saved. He said, go after it, son. I said, what? Go after Jesus. Jesus. So he said, because I was all about church, he said, Your only hope is in Jesus. Let me tell you this anything you're going to be is only in Jesus. Outside of Jesus, there is nothing, there is no true success outside of Jesus. Gifts won't sustain you. Money won't sustain you. Nice things won't sustain you. These things will not sustain you. The only thing that sustains you in life is Jesus. I'm not against you having money. I think if you work hard, you should be rewarded. If you're wise, great. The Bible talks about wisdom. But I think when we shift that we think if this thing here will fulfill me and make me happy and make me valuable and make me look like I've arrived and make me look like I'm healthy and make me look like I'm whole, we're being deceived. The only person who can do that is Jesus. Let me tell you the difference. He's constant. As a matter of fact, he's the only thing, only person, only one who's ever constant and consistent and faithful in your life. And he wants so bad for us to discover that part of him. Here's what David said. My delight is in the Lord. And he will keep me in all my ways. And everything I do, I will succeed. The non again, the, non, the, the guy that's never experienced the the, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the, the personal relationship with Jesus to some degree was never born again. He's speaking from this place and here we are. We have everything we need and we still don't get who we are. Identity. Identity. A couple years ago when I started this transition the Lord said did this to me one day he said I love who you are but I love who you're becoming let me just say this he loves who you are right now but he's calling you into becoming and it's a beautiful place go ahead bow your heads father we thank you for your word we thank you for who you are Father, I just pray that you'll hear hear my heart tonight. It's it's driven with passion. It's it's driven with, I, I hear this call, not just to me, but to this body that's right here. You're calling them in to this place of deepness, deep calls to deep, Lord. This place of fresh encounter, a shifting of values. And I pray over this next week that this, These people here tonight will hear your voice so plain in such a way that they'll hear the tug, they'll feel the tug upon their hearts for personal connection and engagement. To go to a place they've never been before in you, for you to unveil the everything that you have for them. You individualize it. God, you know everything they need right now. I heard this when I get up to preach before I ask the guys to come up and the girls come up and do some prophetic. The Lord gave me one statement when I walked up here and, and I was gonna give it to you and I felt like the Lord wanted me to, to wait to the end. I just heard one little line. This was the line I've heard and I've heard this many times before in preaching different places, but I heard it in this house tonight. I heard, ask what you will. And so I, I, I kind of, you know, in my mind, once again, because I'm this processor guy, so Lord, what are we asking for? Lord, is there a certain thing we're asking for? What, are, what am I supposed to tell him to ask for? Lord said, don't tell him anything. He said, just ask what you will. And this is, this is what I feel. I feel like what's the greatest desire of your heart tonight? What's your greatest need? Now really process it because you can throw something out there really quick. But I think he wants you to personalize it. If I was to say to you, what's the greatest desire you have? What would that look like? For some of you, it may be healing. Some somebody may say, like, I've had this for so long. I, I just want to give this to the Lord. So maybe it may be something else. I can't define it for you. but ask what you will. And I know we've all got a list. but I feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting to narrow in on your heart. And He wants you to be honest with him in this moment. Not something that somebody thinks you should have. Not something that you kind of think you'd like to have. But what's the greatest, what are the greatest, I know it's hard to define, but what's the greatest desire you have? Close your eyes, close your eyes all around the place. So, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts at this moment. Peel back everything like an onion so we can see the greatest thing that we want to ask you for, for us individually tonight in this house. Get to the core of our desires, not something random. on every request tonight. Meet each of us right where we're at. Let us feel it. Now, we don't always have to feel it, but I'm asking you, let us feel it. Let us feel the now in this moment, the shift in this moment.